fullness, nay, is sunk in the, the grossest ignorance. It substitutes vanity and an empty phantom in the place of God. To these evils another is added. The God whom man has thus conceived inwardly, he attempts to embody outwardly. So this commandment, <coughs> the second commandment, is given to in, uh, confront this sinful inclination of our human hearts. And the main takeaway that we get from it is this, is that God, and God alone, because He is the only God, determines how we know Him, how we worship Him, and serve Him. Therefore, we cannot invent our own images of Him, but must come to Him through Jesus, who is the exact image of God. And so what is being prohibited here? Well, again, we see the verse, you shall not make, that's the operative verb, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in water under the earth. Now what is obvious in this commandment is this making of images is being forbidden. Not just the worship of those images, but the actual creation, the making of them. It would have been one thing for God to command the people, well, don't worship graven images. And he actually does that. It's implied in the first commandments. But to say, don't even make them, well, that's taking it even further. And it goes further because of what the intent of an image is. It's meant to be a means by which one knows God, worships God, and serves God. It is a representation of God intended to bring us closer to God. In other words, an image here is to be a mediator and means to enter into a relationship with God, to know Him better. And so the commandment then speaks to how, as people, we are to think about God, how we are to conceive Him and understand Him and know Him. For that is what an image reflects, one's thoughts about who God is. And so God says to His people, don't think of me as you think of anything else in my creation. Don't make an image of me in the form of anything in heaven, which is where God dwells. Or anything in earth, animals, creatures, men and women, or anything in the water. It's comprehensive language of all of God's creation and even the very abode of God in the heavens above. Nothing in creation can adequately represent Him nor communicate who He is and provide the true means of knowing Him in order that we might worship Him. Now notice what God is not saying here. He is not universally prohibiting the making of any carved image uh, such as those that would be used in decoration because that would be contrary to uh, what God says in other parts of the Bible and God does not contradict himself. In fact, God uh, instructs the people of Israel to decorate the tabernacle 
ornately and to furnish it um, with images of palm trees and pomegranates and horns and angels. The Ark of the Covenant had upon it uh, these two cherubim. So the second commandment then is, is not a ban on art or, or decoration. God is not outlawing creativity. We can build beautiful buildings and we can hang Van Gogh's Starry Night or Autumn Landscape upon the wall. But in all of that beauty and that glory, we are not to portray the triune God. In fact, in all of that ornate beauty and artistic creation that you see in the tabernacle and in the temple, you know what you don't see? Any image of God. None of those pomegranates or palm trees or any of it was intended to represent God to the people. That is what God is prohibiting here in this second commandment. Specifically, he's saying, don't make any image of me. Don't fashion me in any way. Don't make an image of what you think I look like so as to try to capture who you think that I am to understand me and to know me. Our larger catechism says it like this. The sins forbidden in the second commandment includes the making of any representation of God or of all or any of the three persons, either inwardly in our mind or outwardly in any kind of image or likeness of any creature whatsoever. God makes no exceptions here. No part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, is to be captured in any kind of image because such an image is not how God chooses to make himself known and reveal himself to his people. Now, one might say, well, Jesus, who is God, came in the flesh, and people certainly saw him. And yes, that is absolutely true. Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us. The same essence that is in the Father is in Christ's being. He is 100% God and he became 100% humanity, and people saw him. But who made him into that image? It was God himself. It was not people. It was God's Son, his own will, to reveal himself at that time to those people in that time. And where is his body, his physical body now? It has ascended to heaven. It is seated at the right hand of the Father on high. And we know Christ then, not through seeing him with our eyes, but through his word. And one day, that will change. One day, Jesus will bodily return to this earth. And we're told that every eye will behold him. But for now, his physical presence remains in heaven, interceding for his people at the Father's right hand. And this brings us back to the point of the second commandment, that God and God alone determines how we must know him and relate to him and consequently worship him. 
In other words, what the second commandment forbids is often called will worship or self-willed worship. It's the, the worshiping of God, be it on the Lord's day with God's people or within our homes or personally, privately in our lives in a way uh, that we have devised rather than being concerned with what God says regarding the manner in which he desires us to seek him and to know him and to glorify him. I mean, the golden calf incident, which we considered last week, is a clear biblical example of this. When the people of Israel made the image of the calf, they were not making an image of Baal or some other deity uh, that had been invented by the peoples of Canaan. In fact, we read there in Exodus 32 that Aaron led the people in making and worshiping of the calf as a form of worship of Yahweh, of, of the one true God. As we read there, it says, When Aaron saw this, that is the calf, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. In other words, Israel, in worshiping the calf, was worshiping the Lord. But they were going about it, that worship in the wrong way. They wanted a, a representation of God who had delivered them from the bondage of slavery in Egypt so that they could know Him better and follow Him and praise Him. And so they made then this image of God from their own imaginations rather than trusting the revelation of God that He was giving them in His Word. And we must ask then, why is God so concerned about this with how we know Him and consequently worship Him? Or in other words, what does the second commandment teach us about God Himself? Well, first of all, it teaches us that God is a spirit. He does not have a body. Therefore, he is invisible and incomprehensible to try to make him into an image of any kind or represent him with anything in heaven, earth, or water is to misrepresent who and what he actually is. Jesus tells us in John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Secondly, God is free, and he will jealously guard his freedom. We cannot ascend into the heavens to bring God down to us. That is what they tried to do in, in Babel with the tower. The people of the earth wanted to build a tower to reach up into the heavens themselves and thus make a great name for themselves because they had reached up and brought God down to them through their own devices, their own strength, and their own power. In other words, they were being a mediator to God themselves. And God, who will not have his freedom to be limited by his creation, confounded the languages and scattered the peoples of the earth. And that was an act of God's mercy, for it kept the people from trying to limit God. We cannot undermine his freedom through images or anything we want to use in this world to represent Him and so mediate access to Him. We must come to Him as He commands. Thirdly, 
what we know about God is that He is sovereign. He alone has a right to make images of Himself. We do not. In fact, He has given us such an image to show us something of Himself. And that image is ourselves as humans. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them. Now there is, of course, much to consider what it means to be an image bearer of God. But the main point of it is this, is that we as humans reflect something of who God's character is. No, God is not physical. He is a spirit. But we learn something about God because we can demonstrate something of God. We can show love and mercy and justice. We can reflect holiness, though we do that imperfectly. But these things tell us something about the person and the being of God. And God in His sovereignty has willed that each person then reflects His image in some way. And that's why harming another person, another human, is such a serious sin and forbidden later in the commandments because it violates this divine image that God stamps upon each person. A fourth reason God does not want make us making images of himself is because, as he says here, he is a jealous God. So in verse 5, you shall not bow down, that is, to any image we make or serve them, and uh, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So when God says he is jealous here, he means that he is fiercely protective of who he is. And so he will thus act justly and bring judgment upon sin, upon iniquity, of, upon those who seek to try to come to him or know him or worship him in some other way than what he has given in his word. And when God says here that the iniquity will be visited upon the third and fourth generation, he doesn't mean uh, that children will be punished for the sins of their parents. That is not what he's saying here. In fact, if we go to Ezekiel, God says this. He says, the soul whose sins shall die, the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And God never contradicts himself. And so what he says here then in Exodus 20 is that I will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the third and fourth generation. And then he qualifies it. What does he say? Of those who hate me. Of the children who continue to do what their fathers did. But then he says this. For those that love me, I will show great mercy. You see, God is not only jealous to guard His justice, but He guards His covenant mercy. And He will show steadfast love, that is to say, covenant love, upon thousands who love Him and keep His commandments. But that is the weight 
that he affixes to the second commandment and how great it is. Now, there are other reasons we could explore about why God forbids images of himself as a way of knowing him and serving him and worshiping him. But the main point here is that God alone determines how we must come to him. And so he prohibits his people from making images that represent the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in any way, either inwardly in our minds or outwardly. And in commanding us to do not make these images, God is confronting us then with something about ourselves, about our hearts, because each commandment, remember, confronts us with something in our broken, fallen, sinful hearts. And this commandment reveals one of those fundamental flaws. And it is this. We want, we desperately want, as sinful people, to be our own mediator to God. We want to know God and worship God as we desire. We want a God that we can access on our terms. We want a God that we can understand according to how we think he should be. We want a God that we can control. We want a God we can worship in any way we choose to worship him. We want a God who is like us. And such was the case of Israel's golden calf, which we already considered. But we could go to other examples in the scriptures as well. In 1 Samuel 4, the people of Israel wanted to use the ark as some sort of magical item that if they took it with them into battle, they would have an edge over their enemies. In fact, they thought they were controlling God and His power. But God cannot be controlled by human hands. And as the people lost that battle, the ark was captured. You see, God never works like that. He is free, sovereign. We are not permitted or able even to control him. To, draw, to do so is absolute folly, as the Apostle Paul explains in Romans 1, 22 and 23, that humanity claiming to be wise, became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. He's not so much saying that man created other gods, though we have tried to do that, but we tried to exchange the glory of God for other things, including mortal man. So birds and cows and lambs and humans and all mortal uh, all things, they are corruptible. They cannot capture and represent any person of the triune God because he is immortal and incorruptible. And even Christ the Son who took on flesh is incorruptible. As we read in Acts 13.37, Jesus saw no corruption because he was raised from the dead. But the pole of our human hearts is always toward this very thing that the second commandment labels as idolatry. And the first commandment teaches us to not have God as just one other God on the shelf of our lives. That's idolatry. He is the only God. And the second commandment, though, teaches us that to seek God and to worship Him in any other way that He provides 
is also idolatry. We want a mediator of our own making to know God. And we even craft Jesus into that mediator that we want him to be rather than what he truly is. But there is a wonderful promise contained in the second commandment. It's a promise that liberates us from the idolatry of our own hearts. It liberates us to worship God as He wants to be worshipped. And that promise is rooted in the very mercy of God that He does show to generations upon generations, to thousands upon thousands. You see, the reason why making our own mediators doesn't work is because God has promised to provide us one, and He has. Jesus is the express image of God who became like us so that we can know God fully through Him. As God thundered out this command to not make any images of Him nor worship it, He also implied the promise that God Himself would make an image of Himself through whom we might know Him. You see, God doesn't want us to make any images of Him because He's already revealed to us who He is through Jesus, the Son. Paul proclaims to us in Colossians 1 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And we read in Hebrews that Jesus is the very radiance of the glory of God, this very same substance of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And so when we see Christ, we see God. When we know Christ, we know God. When we worship Christ, we worship God. But how are we to do that? How are we to see Jesus and know Jesus and worship Jesus? I mean, no picture of him exists. Though certainly one could have been made at that time, for artists were capable of capturing and rendering images of people's physical appearance. And certainly if God wanted that, it could have been done. Nor do we even have a written description of what he looked like, as we do of other people in the Bible. And God in his power as he inspired his word and revealed himself could have given us such a description, but he does not. Because we are not to see Jesus through our physical eyes, but through the eyes of faith and faith alone. Because faith comes by hearing, not sight. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing. And how, where does hearing come from? The Word of Christ. And this is consistent with the rest of the Bible. It's consistent with what God did at Sinai. In fact, as He gives His people that covenant charter of the Ten Commandments, we read in Deuteronomy 4, 
that when the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, you heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. As Christians, we are a people of the Word. We know Christ through His Word. We read His Word. We hear it preached. We pray with words directly to God, directly to Christ. And because Jesus is God's perfect mediator, we know all God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, through Him. As Jesus Himself said, if you had known Me, you would have known My Father also. From now on, you do know Him and have seen Him. Because we see Him in Jesus. Not only do we have God's Word to see Christ and who He is, but we have another image by which we see Christ spiritually in faith. That being the sacrament of this table of the Lord's Supper. We're in the bread and in the wine. We see Christ depicted as the one who opens the way for us to know all that is God and be known by Him as His people, though we have sinned against Him. The table reveals to us Jesus and His sacrifice as we taste and see the goodness of the Lord and His grace. And consider this. When Jesus institutes this supper, He calls us, He commands us to celebrate it until when? Until He comes again. And so we observe this table now so that we might see in faith Jesus and fellowship with Him spiritually. But when He comes again, we won't need this table anymore. Why? Because we can sit down physically at that table with Christ our Lord. And we will see Him with our physical eyes, whom we now see in faith. We keep the second commandment then through the Christ of the commandments. So let us not make images which capture all that is God, but let us hear the word and taste of the bread and the wine. Let us pray in free and open communion with God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, for Jesus has opened the way that we might do so without fear of condemnation because we come to Him through Christ, our only mediator between God and man. Let us teach our children who Jesus really is, not through pictures, but by pointing them to Jesus as He is revealed in the Scriptures. I love what Edmund Clowney, a longtime professor of Westminster Theological Seminary, said. He said, we pray to the real Jesus where He is now. We reach children's hearts not by offering them crayons to draw Jesus, but by showing them how to talk to Him. He is real. He's not a picture. Don't try to imagine what you think God looks like, but instead look to His Word where He reveals who He is and worship Him as He is. Through faith in Christ, we see that which our eyes cannot now behold. 
we see God in His glory who makes us His own. We do not need images carved or drawn or otherwise. So make no likeness of what you think God looks like, but look to Jesus through the Word of God, through eyes of faith, and your hearts will be knit to the very God of heaven. Jesus is the only image of God we need. And so look to him and live. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We're thankful for its truth. We're thankful that you have revealed yourself in ways that we often do not comprehend. And yet when we look in faith, our hearts leap in joy because you make us your people. Though we are sinners, fallen so short of your glory, you make us part of your church through Christ alone. And so we believe. We believe and we look upon Jesus through faith, who is our only mediator. Help us to ever do this. In Jesus' name, amen.